Hello and welcome to season two of Bots and Thoughts, the hyper automation podcast sponsored by Salient Process. I'm your host, Jimmy Hewitt, aka Mr. Automation. Hello, digital business automation community. We at Salient Process wish that everyone's 2023 is off to a great start. To help kick off season two, we've made a special mashup by distilling our favorite moments thus far from the show. Enjoy this mashup special and let us know what you think by checking out the show's survey on LinkedIn afterwards. In 2019, a leading business technology analyst firm, Gartner, coined this term hyperautomation, and their latest definition is as follows. Hyperautomation is a business-driven, disciplined approach that organizations use to rapidly identify, vet, and automate as many businesses and IT processes as possible. Hyperautomation involves the orchestrated use of multiple technologies, tools, or platforms, including artificial intelligence, machine learning, event-driven architecture, robotic process automation, business process management, and intelligent business process management suites, integration platforms as a service, low-code, no-code tools, packaged software, and other types of decision, process, and task automation tools, end quote. Next, task automation. Also known as robotic process automation or RPA, RPA is by far one of the most popular and talked about capabilities of hyperautomation today, and for good reason. But where did it come from? Let's travel back in time to Wall Street, New York City to the year 1991. To make the most informed trades and financial models, these late 80s, early 90s bankers would subscribe to a finance data company like Thomson Reuters, for example, who would serve up hot and fresh finance data on virtually anything that could be bought and sold. Now, consuming this financial data from the banker's perspective was done on what might resemble a web browser. These bankers would use their eyeballs to pore over endless virtual data tables, find the data they need, and then manually key this data into their financial models to make a trade. Now, over time, these folks realized that they were going to the same web page and the data they needed was usually in the same place. Hmm. Our banker friends in 1991 must have thought to themselves, what if we wrote a few lines of code? to go find the data I need, and then consolidate it into one simple table. This was the seed of an idea that led to the first few lines of code that were ever written to screen scrape or data scrape on the UI level of that Reuters.com finance data webpage, thus saving the banker a significant amount of time spent on their morning work routine. The next large step was made a couple years later in 1993 when Microsoft Excel released Excel version 5. This version featured Visual Basic for Applications, or VBA. This macro technology went beyond screen scraping and automated a series of repeatable tasks that happened within the four walls of an Excel document based on predetermined triggers. So there you have it. RPA came from Wall Street in the late 80s, early 90s to save bankers an hour or so each morning on data prep.
what does the day in the life or the morning in the life of that manager look like post RPA? So now they're able to just log in to our SharePoint site. The spreadsheet is filled out, I think by 7 a.m., the time that we agreed upon, and all of the prior day data is there. So now instead of spending all that time filling all the stuff in and then making decisions on, okay, what's today going to look like? What's tomorrow going to look like? What are my suggestions to each restaurant manager? They can just go straight to that and say, okay, here's where we were yesterday. Now we can look ahead to the future. It's kind of unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it was a huge, huge relief for for me knowing that they're relieved Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that the home office, we were able to provide that for them, but I know it's a big relief for them Mm -hmm. and they know it's right. It's straight from the system. Mm -hmm. Nobody fat fingered something. Nobody keyed in the wrong restaurant accidentally. Mm -hmm. And that stuff happens all the time when it's not automated. In conclusion, guiding principle number one is find the balance between innovation slash experimentation and governance. Guiding principle number two is use evaluation or prioritization criteria. We call this your North Star. Consideration number one is your hyper automation practices level of maturity. And consideration number two is which hyper automation tools and combinations of them is appropriate based on this level of maturity. You might be wondering, How on earth can I manage these guiding principles and considerations all in one place? And there's a lot of hyper automation teams out there using many, many tools in a siloed fashion, even manually, tracking use cases for your hyper automation pipeline in Excel, mapping and analyzing processes with a combination of Visio, Word, Excel, or perhaps your RPA vendors automation hub, which exclusively manages RPA use cases. To solve this, we at Salient Process are building the Automation Compass to guide you along your journey. Currently in beta and available for trial today on our website, link in the description, we encourage you to check it out and see how much it helps bring all of these guiding principles and considerations into one place. Let me highlight this for those going about process mapping and mining exercises. A process map is only as good as the information collected during a process mapping workshop or interview, meaning a process map only represents what a person intimately close with the process tells you about it. And quite often, the resulting process map is not so much a reflection of the business process itself, but rather a reflection of that person's understanding of the business process. It's not perfect but it has been the best we can do up until process mining came around. Rather than interviewing folks who are close to a given business process, modeling their understanding of it, process mining, as you know, involves the ingestion of your system's log data, including a case ID number, an activity name, and at least one or many timestamps. Process mining will create one of many visual representations of this system log data from, say, your ERP, like SAP, or CRM, like Salesforce. And one of those visualizations is a BPMN diagram. This mining concept is different from mapping because of the data source. As you know, deriving its process data from a system as opposed to a human 
process mining can oftentimes pick up on more accurate process details, details that a human may miss due to our own biases or inherent limitations. Point being is how do you normalize your ERP's log data with what a process owner's understanding of that process is? On the surface, it may sound like a classic apples to oranges scenario, but thanks to BPMN, they are actually apples to apples. A win, huge win would be your operations team, the same team is able to support 2x business. Yes. That's a huge win. Yeah, without so, hiring more. Yeah, more it's like, you know, if, if you hire, if you uh, a lot more, I mean, this is not against hiring. You want to make sure that one, you're faster, you're nimble, mm-hmm. and your customer experience is great. And your employee experience is great. That's where you should be coming from. And if you have to double the team size, there will be more inefficiencies coming in and then in a training and it it takes time. Right. So you want to make sure that customer experience is not compromised. You're Mm -hmm. bringing in the efficiencies from the process side, automation, hyper automation helps in a big way. And all these wins, that you're able to do with the hyper automation, you can flow that back into investments, into to support more complex situations and business cases that your people are focusing on them versus mundane, these cut and paste uh, tasks. Yes. Right? Yes. That's where your reinvestment, you're putting the money back from all the savings that are coming. So to help grow the business and support the uh, business. We at Salient have a point of view regarding when to use one versus the other, and the answer ends up being both because of how well they complement each other. But it might not necessarily be recommended to start with both. We actually recommend starting with process mapping. Its barrier to entry is incredibly low. You need a BPMN-enabled process mapping platform like IBM BlueWorks Live, and that's it. You're off and running. We even have a YouTube video up right now called How to Map a Process in 90 Seconds or Less. That said, process mapping has inherent limitations, specifically the data source being a human one. For example, a process owner or a subject matter expert. A process map derived from this human data source, as well-intentioned as they may be, are simply relying on their subjective experience of the process, the steps that are taken, the exceptions, the escalations, and last but certainly not least, the cycle time for each activity. This is where process mining really complements process mapping. Mining cuts through the subjectivity of a human's experience and derives its data from the systems being used to carry out the process under discovery. That said, process mining has inherent limitations as well. What about that phone call, that ping, or instant message that you send to carry out one of these process steps? Any task carried out that is not captured within the system's log data will not be captured upfront. How can it be if it's not within the log data file? This is actually where mapping complements mining. So using the two together, 
allow each other's strengths to shine and solves for each other's inherent limitations. A match made in hyper-automation heaven? We think so. It's like you guys have integrated more than one hyper-automation capability together, that being task or RPA with workflow or business process management. Tell us about how that happened. The uh, project that Jeff talked about was the accrual project. And that accrual project, although a computer can make most of the decisions because it's usually very black and white, there's one piece that sometimes requires human, human intervention. And so if there's two accruals that you could do for one single credit, somebody in the end has to make that decision. So we use the workflow to send that out to the sales team and the sales team make, can make that final decision. Again, we only do that when it's needed, but when we do, that has that ability. And that's why we chose to do that part. My most favorite though was um, when we looked at art using RPA and we did use workflow in the, with it as well, but it was it started as a predominantly an RPA effort where an organization was looking at going into a brand new line of business, something they had never done before, um, happened to be within wealth management and, and, and annuities, and they needed to basically provide new products to all the all states within the U.S. And to do that, they had to bring on about ten thousand um, independent agents. Right to to sell and service these products, which needed to be vetted, needed to be certified that they had the right training and, and, and certifications to be able to do this within the states. Had to be then each state had its own regulations that had to be gone through, and we looked at that, and the projection was that it would take about hiring of twenty people and up to eighteen months to do this manually to to achieve this right. And with RPA, we were within three months be able to put bots in place that were able to do the onboarding of all 10,000 people and allow them to go to market, you know, 12 to 15 months sooner than what they had expected. Wow. Um, and really How cool. And, 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 the, and those bots after it was done all went away, but the cost to benefit analysis of creating something and we didn't do technology much, right? We spent all this time building these bots. We did have some workflow coordination that we needed, right? Mm -hmm. Within there as well. So there was some workflow, but we built it and guess what? Probably. And then, after that, really didn't use it again. Now, there were some that were saved for new applicants and things like that, but majority of the work was throwaway. And, and that was a shift, right? You talked about earlier, like some shifts in the market was that we can invest in technology, get the value from it, and then walk away because it's so great and, and its impact that it can have. And that, and that was huge, right? And it was tunes of several million cool dollars of oh, being able to go to market. Say that again, that. translated into, did I oh, get yeah, it, right? it was several millions of dollars that they were able to, by just going to market sooner, by getting into the market Amazing. earlier, that they wouldn't have been wow. able to do it. And really using Love that, that as a way to, to support a new business line. I mean, what our audience would love to hear is a, a detailed sure. dissection, if you could, of a use case. Where were they at when they came to you? How did they describe their posture or their current state? Uh, what was implemented and what is life like today? So, so uh, actually one of my favorite use cases, one of the first ones I was ever involved with many, many years ago. Oh. And it, and the reason why it's my favorite use case is the size of the company. I mean, typically I think people think of, you know, implementing this technology in 
these large uh, multinational companies. And that, that is true, right? But um, mm -hmm. the use case I'm thinking of is we, had, we were involved when I was uh, at FileNet many, many years ago with a company that specialized in student loan servicing. So if you picture what that business is like, it is mm. literally the, the student loan is the product, if you will. They had to, they were inundated okay. with paper and process. That company, what makes it an interesting story is that company's revenues were $16 million with an M, not a B, a $16 million yeah. company with only 300 employees spent well over a million dollars in implementing a content management and process management system and had a very, very strong ROI. So think about the percentage of revenue that they spent on that system and it transformed their business because it completely changed their processes to all electronic processes, gave them all access immediately to files and allowed them to grow their business without increasing the number of employees uh, in the company. So it was transforming. We actually That's ended beautiful. up making the cover of their annual report. So it, it's a great story. And it basically says, wow. look, you know, irrespective of how big you are and what your business is, um, if you have the right leadership at the company and you have the right focus on what the business problem is, you can, you can transform your business irrespective of how, how big the company is. Thanks for listening to another episode of Bots and Thoughts, the hyper-automation podcast sponsored by Salient Process. Be sure to never miss an episode by hitting that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this. Don't forget to connect and interact with us. You can find us on Bots and Thoughts' own LinkedIn page. And we're constantly running feedback surveys and ask that if you've made it this far in the episode, show us some love by responding to a survey and following us on LinkedIn. Finally, if you or someone you know would like to be a special guest on the show, we have a nomination form also down in the description for you to fill out. And with that, see you next episode and happy automating.